Good morning. Good to see you this morning. Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. While you're finding that, just a couple of things. Number one, I want to thank everyone that made our seminar yesterday possible. Another successful seminar, and we'll be having more of these in the future. So I want to thank everybody for making that uh, possible yesterday. Secondly, your building team will be meeting today right after church, and next Sunday we'll be able to give you the latest update on where we are headed as far as getting that building up over there on Greenfield and Queen Creek intersection. Very soon. Very, very soon. And then third, obviously today we finish up our study of the book of Philippians. So next week, I would like to invite you to join me for a five-week study in the book of Jude, beginning next week. Just some personal thoughts about that book for me. It is the book in the Bible that I have studied the most in my 45 years as a Christian. Um, In fact, it was the very first book that I studied in depth in the Bible. It has a, just a particular relationship, I guess, with me. Uh, one of the other things that always intrigued me about this book is it's one of only two books in the Bible written by one of Jesus' brothers who grew up with him. And I think when you come at that book, looking at it from that perspective, that angle, it even makes the message of that book more powerful. So beginning next week, five-week series in the book of Jude. But today we want to finish up our study of the book of Philippians. And we come to the passage beginning in chapter 4, verse 10, down through verse 23, that contains some of the most well-known and beloved verses in all the New Testament. Verse 11, I have learned to be content in any circumstance. Verse 13, I am able to do all things through the one who strengthens me. Verse 19, and my God will supply your every need according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. We know these verses. We quote these verses. And in this passage of Scripture, we're going to see why Paul writes the words that he does. But the first thing I want us to notice here this morning, before we get into the, to the main subject of Paul here in this passage, is to remember that as he ends this letter... He ends it the way he began the letter, all the way back in chapter 1, verse 5. He wants to thank the Philippians for their gift and for their support of him while he's in prison in Rome. Notice he says, I have great joy in the Lord because now, verse 10, at last you have again expressed your concern for me. 
Now I know that you were concerned before, but had no opportunity to do anything. Then notice what he says in verse 15. And as you Philippians know, in the beginning of my gospel ministry, when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in this manner of giving and receiving except you alone. For even in Thessalonica, uh, on more than one occasion, you sent something for my need. I do not say this because I'm seeking a gift. Rather, I seek the credit that abounds to your account. For I have received everything and I have plenty and I have all that I need because I received from Epaphroditus what you sent, a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, very pleasing to God. So I want us first to notice that Paul is taking time throughout this letter to thank the Philippians for their support of him personally and his ministry. That reminds us that when we get to eternity, we're going to be glad, very glad that we supported the ministry, that we invested in eternity. How do you think the Philippians felt when they got to heaven and they were like, yeah, we were the church that were the only ones that supported Paul. You know, kudos to us, right? Well, not, and again, in a, in a way to, to make us proud, but we should make sure that we seize those opportunities. And I just want to say, I am so thankful that I am the pastor of a church like this that is just filled with very generous giving people who not only support our ministry, but that we've had the opportunity to support, you know, down through the years, things like our, our uh, ministry on Saturdays where we used to, you know, help get food out to the community, produce with a purpose. And then we went on and we've got our homeless ministry that continues and, and we've got you know, um, so many other things. We've supported the church in Mexicali, and you're going to hear about us being able to do that at Christmas time this year because that's going to be our main thrust. Um, obviously, Josh over there, uh, we, we are supporting. And then, you know, a couple weeks ago, Jenna came, and many of you, you know, wrapped your... We're going to be glad we did that. And obviously, Paul is also sharing with us an example that those who are supported should be so thankful for the ones that they're being supported by because you and I can't do this alone. We never get to the place that we are all by ourselves. And Paul understood that as well. So he thanks them. But you also notice in the words that I read of Paul that unlike a lot of people maybe in missionary work or ministry work, Paul wants to make sure that his extravagant thank you isn't a subtext to, to ask them for more. Did you get that? You know, sometimes it's like a pastor or somebody will get up and say, now thank you for supporting me. And by the way, can, can you give more? In fact, because I am one, I'm just going to call out generally so many pastors today who get up every Sunday and 
Share something to the effect of, we're so thankful that many of you give to our ministry, but we need you to keep giving so much more. We're going to see today why that is actually not even biblical. That should not be something that we are known for as Christians, and especially as Christian leaders, you see. So Paul wanted to make sure that he sort of threaded that fine line, if you will, between being thankful for what they sent, but also saying to them, but I'm good. Everything's good. Thank you, but I'm good. I, I'm not sharing this with you because I expect you to give more. And another interesting thing about the church at Philippi is that when Paul says, you are the only church that supported me, let's remember also what that is saying. The church at Philippi was the very smallest church, the one that had the least amount of resources of any church you will ever read about in the New Testament. And yet they were the ones that were the most giving. Hmm. That says something a lot of times. Now again, not always. Sometimes, you know, brothers and sisters that have been blessed in great ways are also very great in giving and being generous. We know that. We have many of you right here in our midst. But sometimes the people that are the most generous and willing to give are actually the ones that don't have very much to give. And yet their heart is, that's what we want to do. And that was the church at Philippi. And they really put other churches to shame that had more resources than they did, but yet they were the ones that were always giving and being generous. Now with that said, those things are really important, but that's not the main reason why Paul wants to end the letter the way he does. He wants to end this correspondence to the church at Philippi to remind them of a very important principle in our Christian life. And that is the principle of contentment. Contentment. I want to draw, draw your attention to back to verse 11. Where first of all, Paul says, I have learned to be content in any circumstance. I want us first to see that Paul said, this is not something that is innate in being a Christian. In other words, a person doesn't become a Christian, get born again, and then the very next day go, I'm content. Paul says, no, no. It, it is something that has to be learned. And you know what that word means? It means it can only be learned through spiritual growth and maturity through making progress in our walk with God, in being a devoted and committed disciple. That's what the word learned means. It's the same root that, that where we get the word disciple from, being a disciple. One who, again, very devotedly follows the Lord. That's why many Christians are not content because they've never learned to be content because they've never put themselves on the pathway of discipleship, which again reemphasizes why Jesus said to the church, don't go out and just get people saved. Go out and the great commission is to what? Make disciples. 
Because only as we grow and mature and make progress and follow the Lord in a devoted, committed way as a disciple will we ever learn to be content. That's the first thing. Then I want you to also notice that Paul says, I've learned to be content in any circumstance. He says this many times. Look at verse 12. In any and every circumstance, I have learned a secret of contentment. Whether I go satisfied or hungry, have plenty or nothing. In other words, Paul is saying, this kind of contentment is non-circumstantial. It has nothing to do with circumstances. Which is again where many people and even Christians live today. Their contentment is based on circumstances in their life. And that's why many human beings mistake circumstantial contentment for real contentment. That's why many people today mistake superficial contentment for deep contentment. Because in their minds, especially if they have a lot of material things and resources, they're like, life's good, right? I got everything that I need. That's why even Jesus said, not that it's impossible, but it's very difficult for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because they mistake circumstantial contentment for real contentment. The kind of contentment that Paul's talking about here has nothing to do with circumstances or material things at all. And many times that's why it's only when we are finally discontent that we're actually on the pathway to contentment. In fact, let me repeat that because that's really important. The only way actually to ever become content with God contentment is to be at a place in my life where I'm finally ready to admit I'm not content. See, discontentment actually will only be the way to lead us to real contentment. And so many human beings, including many Christians today, the reason why they're not even looking for that deep, real, biblical God contentment in their life is because they, have sat, they are satisfied and they are settled to just search for in their life a circumstantial, superficial contentment that is based on their circumstances and how much they have materially or physically in their life. And Paul's saying, oh my goodness, you in Philippi, oh my goodness, you in Chandler Gilbert or Arizona, 2017, There is a contentment on a whole other level. A contentment that means that it doesn't matter, Paul said, whether I'm satisfied or whether I'm even hungry, whether I have plenty or whether I have nothing. If I get to this place, I can be content in any circumstance. So what is contentment? What is the secret of contentment that Paul says he has found? Well, here's what the word means. It means that God is enough. 
It means to be satisfied with the sufficiency of God. That no matter what circumstance or situation I find myself in in life, I have learned to come to a place where, where whatever that is, I know that God is sufficient for me. I know that He is enough for me. And whatever He chooses to bring and supply and all of that into my life, I'll be able to navigate whatever the circumstances, whatever the situation is, because God is enough. Keep your finger there in Philippians. I want to show you that contentment was a big deal to Paul. I want you to turn, first of all, back to 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and look at verse 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 10. Paul says, Therefore, I am content with weaknesses, with insults, with troubles, with persecutions, And difficulties for the sake of Christ, for whenever I am weak, then I am strong. Now, do you realize that what Paul just said there, a modern psychiatrist or psychologist would say, Paul, you are nuts. There's no way you can be content with that. But you remember the verse, just a couple verses before that? Where Paul is saying, God, take this thorn in the flesh away from me. And God's response is what? My grace is what? Sufficient. In other words, what I am going to give you and what is found in me, it will be enough for you to navigate this situation. And that's why Paul could say, it doesn't matter how my life is going, what circumstances, what situation I am in. I'm content with that because I know that as I look to my God, whatever I have in Him and whatever He gives me at that moment, it will be enough. It will be sufficient. And that is what it means to be content. And when you and I get to that place, when we learn to land where Paul did, then again, we are living always above our circumstances. We are able to rise above every situation and there's no situation that we would ever come in contact with in our life that you and I with God can't navigate. Now let me stop for a moment before I go on to the next passage that I want to look at and then we'll go back to Philippians 4. What that means for us sometimes is we've got to be open to other people too. Because guess what? Many times if God is going to you know, give us resources or supply something to get us through a situation or a circumstance, many times he will choose his own children as his instruments. So when I say that our sufficiency is in God, yes, we look to God, but that doesn't mean that God doesn't have all these resources at his disposal to bring into our life at certain times and in certain seasons, and that that is part of God's sufficiency. You see, you get understanding where I'm coming from here. Okay. All right. I don't know. This could be interesting. Uh, First Timothy chapter six, if you'll turn there. Another passage where Paul deals with contentment. First Timothy chapter six, verse six. 
Now, godliness combined with contentment brings great profit. For we have brought nothing into this world, and so we cannot take a single thing out either. But if we have food and shelter, we will be satisfied or content with that. Over and over and over again, Paul talks about contentment. And that's why the very last thing he wants to leave, because again, Paul's living this by example. Remember, where is Paul as he writes Philippians? He's in prison. And yet he says, I'm good. Because God has brought Epaphroditus. God has brought what I've needed through other people, through the ministry of the church at Philippi. God's ministering to me every day. I can pray to God. I can read his word. I'm good. You're in prison, Paul. I'm good. You've lost your freedom, Paul. I'm good. You're chained to a Roman soldier every day. I'm good. Because I've learned to be content in any and every circumstance. Because my God is enough. I am satisfied with the sufficiency that I find in God. Back to Philippians chapter 4. That's why. And why I wanted to build the context especially so strongly this morning is that's what makes then Philippians 4.13 set so right now for us that it sort of, you know, sparkles. Because this is the context of when Paul says, I am able to do all things through the one who strengthens me. Paul says, here's where I, why I can be content. That on the inside, no matter what I'm going through, on the inside, God will give me the internal strength, the internal ability, capacity, power to be able to handle whatever life brings to me. And the reason Paul says that's true for us as believers is because he's saying here that literally God shares his power with us. That's what the word strengthens means. God, the almighty God, the one who has infinite power, unlimited power. Paul says he shares that power with us in each and every circumstance and situation in life. So that I know there is nothing, nothing that I'm ever going to have to deal with that I won't be supplied with the power to be able to deal with it and navigate it. That's why Paul said, I can be content. Because Paul didn't like the thorn in his flesh, but God said, I'll give you my sufficient grace. Paul may not have liked to have been in prison, but Paul realized God's going to give me the strength to get through this season of my life and come out the other side even better and stronger for it. See, I can do all things through Christ doesn't mean everything. In the context, it means that I can handle each and every situation in life because God will give me the strength when I need it to deal with it. Whatever that is. And then, verse 19. Not only will God give us internally what we need, 
God will make sure that we have externally what we need as well. When Paul writes, and my God will supply. It means to fill up or fill to the full your every need. Not out of his glorious riches or resources, but according to. Because God could give and give and give and never even begin to diminish or deplete his resources because God, being an infinite God, has infinite resources. According to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. So, notice, verse 13 of chapter 4, very famous verse, Paul is saying, the reason I can navigate any and every circumstance is because God will give me the internal strength, the inner strength and power I need to be able to get up every day and do what I need to do and be who I need to be. Then he says in verse 19, and God not only will give me internally what I need, God will make, ex- make sure externally I have what I need. Not what I want, but what I truly need. He'll make sure that I have enough. Now again, just like he did with Paul, that may mean that you and I have to be open to the ministry of other people. Because Paul didn't do this alone. Paul ultimately was looking to God, but then God used the church at Philippi and used a man named Epaphroditus and used another man named Timothy in his life as his hands and feet, as his instruments. And that's why you and I have to be part of a body and a community and be open to, and be open not only to being used in other people's lives, but being open to them being used in our lives. Because many times that's how God works. But I want us to see that Paul wasn't looking, though, first to the human being to be the answer. He was first looking to God and knowing that he could trust God to supply whomever or whatever he needed. And so let me go back then to my statement about pastors and ministries. That's where pastors and ministries get it wrong by somehow appealing to the people and saying, we need more of your resources and money, rather than going to God and saying, God, if this project, if this building, if this addition to our church is of you, then you will work on the hearts and minds of your people, and they will step up, and they will give. And we don't need to come at it from the standpoint of, I am coming to you for the need, but I am learning to go to God, trusting God to lay it on your hearts to meet that need. That's living by faith, not by sight. You and I will know something else. We will know that we are grateful or that we are content when we are grateful in every and any circumstance. Because notice what Paul says then in verse 20 after he says, God will supply your every need according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Then he says, may glory, praise and worship. That's what the word glory means. It's what we were doing here 
this morning. That should be just part of who we are every day. May praise and worship be given to God our Father forever and ever. Amen. Paul is praising and worshiping God in the moment and asking the Philippians to do the same. He's in prison, right? Yeah. Lost his freedom, right? Yeah. Chained to a Roman soldier every day, right? Yeah. Probably doesn't get the best food every day, right? Yeah. Probably doesn't have a lot of material things to enjoy, right? Paul says, praise God. I've got everything that I need because I got God. And if God wants me to have something else, God will make sure that I get it because he will supply whatever I truly need in that moment and in that season. And Paul says, when we can get to that point, Philippians, that's when we have learned to be content. Isn't that the very same principle that David got to in his life? When again, he penned a very famous verse, one that I've used many times here at the Oasis, one that we always can quote, Psalm 23, verse 1, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. David basically says, if God is my shepherd and I'm truly following him, then I trust him to lead me to still waters. I trust him to lead me to green pastures. I don't need a thing. Because I've got God, and He's my shepherd. One other thing. I, I, you know, obviously, I trust Paul, and I trust the leading of the Holy Spirit. But if I was writing this letter from the same place that Paul was, this would have been one of the first things I would have said, not one of the last things. But Paul at the very end of this letter, drops, I mean, a huge statement on the Philippians that I think was like a, wow, yeah, I hadn't really thought of that before. And my thinking, you know, again, just looking at it from my point, I'm like, Paul, why didn't you share that back in chapter one rather than waiting to the very end of the letter, you know? But I want you to see something even in the very final words of Paul to the Philippians, beginning in verse 21. Give greetings to all the saints in Christ Jesus. The brothers with me here send greetings. All the saints greet you. Paul's into greeting, isn't he? That's why we like to greet each other and welcome each other. He's like, hey, the ones here with me, they're greeting you, they're you greeting us. We're all greeting each other. But then notice what he says. The very end of verse 22. Especially those who belong to Caesar's household. And then he ends with this great statement. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. May it permeate into the very inner depths of your being. But Paul says, oh, by the way, here's who's sending greetings to you. People who are in the very household of Caesar, the leader of the world. You know what Paul's saying there, right? Remember, the whole reason he wrote this letter besides wanting to thank them and instruct them a little bit 
was to encourage them because they were discouraged that the great apostle Paul, the great missionary of the church, was somehow in prison. And, and what, did God really know what he was doing? And, and poor Paul. And Paul says, you realize that God really does know what he's doing because while I was here, many people in Caesar's household Many of maybe Caesar's own family members and servants came to know the Lord Jesus Christ through me being where I was. Because it's not about me. It's about the advancement of the gospel and the glory of Jesus Christ. And Paul says, you realize now that because God placed me where he did, now God has an influence at the very highest levels of society at that time. Paul says, you can trust God, Philippians. Even when it doesn't seem like it's going well for you, you can trust God. And you and I can learn to be content in any and every circumstance, no matter what. Because God really does know what he's doing. And God will give us internally every bit of strength and power that we need to get through that season of our life or that time. And God will make sure externally that we have everything that we need. He will supply it. He will provide it. If we just look to him. There's not a one of us here today that is not on the journey of learning to be content in any and every circumstance. Paul wants us to keep on that journey. And to get to the place in our life where no matter what the day brings, no matter what season we go through, we like Paul can look to God. And so God, as I look to you, I know that you will give me your sufficient grace. You will give me your strength. You will, you will supply me with anything that I need according to your glorious riches in Christ Jesus. You are enough, God, for me. You are enough. Maybe here today, as all of us are on that journey of learning to be more and more content, maybe some of you, in this moment, with your brothers and sisters in Christ and God, would say, and you know what, Pastor? God has laid it on my heart to make some kind of decision or choice in my life to keep me on that process of discipleship where I can continue to learn and grow and make progress so that I will become content in any and every circumstance. Where I finally get rid of being satisfied and settling for circumstantial and superficial contentment and where my life finally grabs a hold of real deep God contentment. Would you stand with me as we pray? God, I ask you today 
that you would build into our life a contentment that can only come from you and through you. Help us to look to you, God, for each and everything that we need. Knowing that through you we are able, through you we will have what we truly need. That you are sufficient. That everything that you will give us in that moment will be sufficient. That we never need to look outside of you or beyond you for anything. It all can be found in you. So God, may we look to you this morning in all of our lives. And if there are some here, God, that need to come this morning and just seal the deal with you about something, make a decision, a choice, a commitment of some type, Lord, through the Spirit of God, give them the freedom and the courage to be able to come this morning as we sing our final song. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.